So, um, tonight we uh, go on on this exploration that started um, around the first of the year and uh, will continue through a month of Thursdays, um, looking into what in Buddhism are often called the perfections, the paramis in um, in Pali, the paramitas in Sanskrit, and which uh, which are are wholesome qualities that that are very uh, helpful to get to know in this kind of reflective and meditative way, both for our meditation practice and in our lives. I like to translate them as the home bases. So uh, we've we've talked about um, generosity and. Um, um, what did we talk about last week? Um, patience. And tonight I'm going to talk about um, energy a little bit and meditation a little more. Of course, these are, meditation is kind of central to our activity here. Um, but I'd like to begin with energy uh, they're, they're, they're definitely related, although as, as we go on, we can see that these qualities are all related. They, they kind of are, are reflections of one another. It's kind of, they all touch one another, and, and you can see how they work in us through our meditation as well as in our lives. So energy is virya, uh, or virya in Sanskrit and Pali, and it's often translated vigor or effort. Effort is perhaps the most common translation. Um, and it's, it has a quality of also enthusiastic effort, uh, which vigor kind of implies. But I also think of it as constancy and commitment, a kind of steadfastness, um, or the enthusiasm to continue, which is kind of, a commitment, uh, and to keep on keeping on, that is, with our sitting meditation or with whatever comes up for us. Um, sometimes it takes a great amount of energy uh, to connect with this, one could also call it a zeal or a zest for for not o- for, for meditation, for practicing meditation, and also also for living. And, and sometimes we definitely know uh, when we're in those low energy periods, it takes seems to take a lot to get us to contact this, to get in touch with it. Um, and that's when we have difficulties or setbacks. Uh, sometimes we can get kind of lost in those and not notice what the quality of energy is, but it's very helpful for us to do so, to notice what our quality of energy is. And just sitting down quietly, we can, we can get in touch with that. Uh, it's, it's a kind of a focusing in. When we're blown about by life or just by, our, by difficult circumstances or just by our busyness, we just kind of whirl about and, and often we don't realize where our energy is and where we're focusing it, where we're putting our attention. Um, But this kind of energy that is talked about in the paramis is 
is a focusing of our intent of our attention. It's bringing our intention to our attention, where to put it, knowing where we're putting it. Um, it's not just kind of a raw energy or kind of an energetic force or that kind of kid energy like little kids have that's kind of giddy and just really charged up. It, it's not. It's it's much more. Here's where it reflects with one of the the first uh, one of the early paramis that we talked about patience. It's it's kind of imbalanced with that and patience and vigor or effort balance each other out and help support each other. They complement one another to keep us in balance. There's um, a famous story from the time of the Buddha about a seeker uh, who. Uh, was very was very earnest and dedicated. Who ran into the Buddha, and said, "I just, I'm just not finding it. Uh, I, I, I know that you. I can tell that you know what I know, but I just don't know that I know it. And I've been looking for it. I've been trying to know it. Um, and but I just know I haven't found it yet. And so the Buddha asked him. Um, I've forgotten his name." Buddha asked him if if he weren't the seeker, the yogi who played the lute. And he said, yes, I do play the lute. He said, well, it's it's like in this journey, in this search, and particularly in your meditation, it's like tuning the lute. If you tune the strings too tightly, you put too much effort or energy into it, you either break the string or get this very unpleasant sound. And if you leave it too loose then you get this dull, also unpleasant sound. You know when you've tuned the lute where everything comes together, you can make a harmony, you can make music with it. Um, so, so the energy, um, virya is a, is, a, is, is a word in Sanskrit, and it's the root word of our word in English through Latin, virility, which implies a sort of the masculine side, uh, you know, of, of real effort. Actually, this parami is translated striving in some traditions, you know, like really emphasizing the, the, um, the energetic quality, the, the go out there and do it quality. But there's also a kind of a lightness and joy quality to energy, especially in our, can be in our meditation, that where we feel like everything is coming together and we feel that lightness in our own minds and bodies. It's not just talking about it. We actually know those sensations, which are subtle sensations. That's why we sit down and be quiet in order to tune into them. I think it's also important to know you know how and where we apply our energy. That's um, that's a part of bringing, focusing our attention, bringing our attention. So we bring ourselves to our meditation, to practice. Um, it can be that sometimes, to, as our lives go on, that we feel like we lose touch with this. We lose touch with the energy for meditation. We no longer feel connected with it. And I think it's particularly in those times, that's like a little flag that goes up in my mind that, oh, I just don't feel, where's the energy? Like that that thought crosses the mind. Where's the energy? 
to do this, to sit down, to come to the Thursday or whatever it is that one does for meditation practice, then I go, oh, this is interesting. This is just the time to sit down. That's very helpful to sit down then. And, and then we can often see what's going on, where our attention has gotten distracted, um, what's coming up with us, what, what we have that's not, that we don't have this sense of lightness and balance. Um, I'd like to read a little poem from um, Kabir, who's the Sufi sage. It's just a short poem, um, but it really points to where in these difficult times we can focus in. Be strong then and enter into your own body. There you have a solid place for your feet. Think about it carefully. Don't go off somewhere else. Kabir says this, just throw away all thoughts of imaginary things and stand firm in that which you are. The translation here says stand firm. We can also sit firm in that which we are, not distracting ourselves, not going away to imaginary things, thinking what might be in the future or what has been and is uh, no longer real in that sense in the past, but staying with what is right here in our bodies, sitting down, bringing our awareness to our breath and focusing in where we are right now. Being grounded. Um, That's a quality of energy to stay in this grounded place that we are. It takes a lot of energy to stay upright and grounded when we sit in meditation. And it doesn't matter whether we're sitting in a chair or or on the floor. Uh, It takes a lot of energy. And our bodies hold and support both our physical energy and our mental energy. You know, we we know this because we usually bring enthusiasm to... um, to the physical activities we do, like whatever they might be, sports or exercising or whatever body movements we do that bring us joy and happiness in being alive, if if we're fortunate enough to have health. And and in that same way with our meditation, we we can give ourselves the juice to keep contacting our vitality. Energy is very connected with our vital force. And that's partly our enthusiasm, too. Um, how, we can, how we can just get up in the morning and meet the day, even though we have difficulties, even though we may have moods that are left over from dreams or the day before. Moods come and go all the time, but that quality of underlying enthusiasm and energy to let us meet our lives, go out and do our work, uh, maybe even do a little meditation before we go to work. Um, So there's a quote from Aya Kema, who was a Theravadan nun who died a couple of years ago. Uh, she was considered one of the elders of, of Theravadan practice in the 20th century. She went to um, Sri Lanka in 1930 from Germany, or 30s sometime, and, and, and 
really dedicated herself to meditation practice. Um, she didn't start out with a quest, but uh, she went with her husband because of other circumstances, but she got right to it. Um, she says, effort is its own reward. Each time we expend a little more, stretch ourselves, we stretch the mind. As we keep stretching, the mind becomes pliable, flexible, so that it can see the whole rather than just the little specks of the universe that each of us occupies. So there's that kind of analogy between stretching ourselves, stretching our bodies, stretching our minds. And actually, we do both. Even in meditation, it's a physical activity. Um, It's a physical activity to keep centered and balanced and straight and sitting. You know, at times, energy and and, and effort, efforting seems effortless. Uh, And in those times we we see we just our energy flows out and we have acts of generosity or we see ourselves being patient or we see ourselves you know expressing ourselves in very many wholesome ways um, in our lives there's um, the more we commit ourselves the more we come back uh, to to just simply saying, yes, I, I'll do this. Yes, I will do this. Um, the more we get in touch with these deeper and more subtle qualities. There's um, kind of a famous passage, you may, have, you may know this one, from um, Goethe, the, uh, the German poet, who, um, who talks about commitment and and effort, energy. Until one is committed, there is always hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness concerning all acts of initiative and creation. There is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. The moment that one definitely commits oneself then providence moves too. There is one elementary truth. The moment that one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help that never would have otherwise occurred. A whole stream of events arises from the decision. Raising to one's favor all manner of unforeseen accidents and meetings and material assistance which no man could have dreamed would come his way. Whatever you can do or dream, begin it. Commitment has genius, power, and magic in it. So I think this is pointing to uh, one, one side of energy, one aspect of energy or effort commitment. Uh, and that is kind of the, the side of, of cause and effect or result. Uh, what, what happens? Things happen when we commit ourselves, when we bring our energy to any kind of enterprise, uh, to any undertaking that we do. Um, 
Another side that I'd like to touch on is, is maybe perhaps at least raised by, we might ask ourselves the question, raising this question, why, we ma- why are we making this effort? Um, why do we do this? And uh, Krishnamurti has a really um, beautiful, um, a beautiful way of expressing why, what we are doing and why we are doing it in a sense. He says, our efforts are to see the truth, to realize the truth, and it is the truth, not our efforts, that actually liberates us. So this is pointing to this other side of meditation and this connection, this other side of energy, rather, and the connection between our effort and our meditation. Um, we have this deep, uh, this deep and wholesome desire to connect with the truth, to know the truth for ourselves. We know that there is the truth, uh, like the lute player who talked to the Buddha. But sometimes it seems like we just can't uh, express it. Um, and our meditation gives us the opportunity to do that, to both connect with the truth and to express it. In Zen practice, um, meditation is not only the path to awakening, but it's actually awakening itself. It's said that that, that when we sit down in meditation, the very act of sitting down, no matter what our minds are doing or what our bodies are doing, or that is an expression of the awakened mind. Um, so I think like maybe that's an expression of the awakened mind in the sense that only the awakened mind is crazy enough, sort of counter-survivalist enough to actually sit down and not get up. You know, it's really kind of extraordinary what we do. We just, we say, okay, we're going to sit here, we're not going to move, we're going to do the best we can to not move, to be still and be present without distracting ourselves. And, um, and that's kind of, it's definitely extraordinary. There are lots of stories in the, in the Buddhist tr- uh, tradition about, about this aspect of meditation, sort of how crazy it is. Like the Tibetan monks sit with, um, and in the face of tigers, you know, and uh, looking them in the face and threatening to eat them, and uh, in the face of demons, gods which are going to, you know, sacrifice them, and the, or even just in 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 freezing temperatures, in stone uh, in stone huts, as a deliberate meditation practice. Well, one could certainly make the case that that's a little out there. Um, there's, there's also in the, in the Theravadan tradition with this great story of Ajahn Chah who's uh, really quite connected to this meditation center in the sense that uh, Gil has done some training with Jack Cornfield at Spirit Rock and Jack Cornfield, um, Jack Cornfield practiced with Ajahn Chah in uh, Thailand for some time. And so the Ajahn Chah story is that he resolved, he took all of his effort and commitment 
to sit in meditation in the charnel ground, even though he was extremely frightened of ghosts. And that's sort of a Thai cultural thing that they have these incredible ghost stories and that's just that's just the way their culture goes. So people kind of grow up believing in ghosts, believing that they're real powerful figures and that they can actually take you away and things like that. Um, and Anjan Chan knew that was a story and knew that was, you know, th- that way. But he really had to, to, to bring himself and tells this wonderful story in his uh, book, or book of his stories being Dharma, book about him, um, how... It just took everything he had to just stay in that charnel ground where they burn the bodies and then the people, so it's all smoldering around you and the people come and and take away the ashes and the little bits of bones. Um, Also the, um, the Buddha, the Buddha himself after his enlightenment kept meditating the whole next 45 years. So he kept bringing his energy to that focus, kept bringing his energy back to do that. And so also a question is, why do we meditate? Um, I think it's to be able to meet our lives as they happen and as they change. It's not to get to any transcendent place or anything, but to meet whatever comes up for us in our lives. I have um, some very good friends who just found out that their sister-in-law has a very rare and inoperable form of cancer. And she's, you know, healthy, a marathoner, relatively young, in her 50s, that's what I'm calling relatively young these days anyway. So um, she, she, has his, she has to meet that. And not only she has to meet it, but uh, her family, her loved ones, her friends, everyone who knows her, colleagues. We all have to meet things in our lives, even, I mean, not such dramatic stories, but... Um, Everyday life, disappointments, frustrations, irritations, we have to meet things. Our meditation helps us, brings us that balance, that, that poise to be able to meet what comes up in our lives. We, can, we learn by, through our sitting, through our being, our real intention to be aware that we can be not in control and yet still be balanced. We learn we aren't in control, that's for sure. We know that anyway at some level. And we learn we can still be in balance. We learn that we really are like a gyroscope, not like a top that gets knocked over, reactive, but that we we have, each of us, our own internal center and gyroscope that we can return to. And our meditation practice helps us see that, connect with it. Come back to our own true nature. In the earliest teachings of Buddhism, the Dhammapada, the way of the Dharma, um, 
the way of the Dhamma, which are considered the, the, the earliest words of the Buddha attributed directly to the Buddha. Quietly consider what is right and what is wrong. Consider who is wise. Be quiet and loving and fearless, for the mind talks, but the body knows. If you meditate and follow the law, that is the law of the Dharma, the truth of how things are, you will free yourself from craving and rise above sorrow. This is the way of brightness. This is the way of clarity. So, I'd like to... um, I'd like to bring in another couple of languages about another you know, turn the scolitic, turn the kaleidoscope to to maybe view meditation in another way, put another frame around it. Um, at certain times we actually perceive meditation as seamless. You know, we have that awareness, that mindfulness that's built into us, and we connect with it. Um, and it doesn't matter whether we're seated in formal sitting practice or we're, or we're worrying about our kids or walking the dog or whatever we might be doing. Uh, we have that sense. From Lama Yeshe, who was a Tibetan teacher who taught a lot of Westerners until his death in the 80s, if you continuously investigate your perceptions and beliefs, there's no time when you're not meditating. And in fact, meditation is a kind of uh, a scientific empirical investigation. Or perhaps if that language is too clinical, it's a, it's a real human curiosity. A curiosity of who we are and how things really are. What's true and what's real right now for me in my heart and mind and body? And um, another language is from... Henri Bergson, who's a, uh, a philosopher, who was a 20th century French Nobel laureate. Meditation has no other object than to set aside the symbols of practical utility, the generalities that are conventionally and socially accepted. Everything, in fact, which masks reality from us. And this in order to set us face to face with reality itself. Bergson actually used art rather than meditation here. But both art and meditation seem sometimes like, you know, in our busy lives, like they, they don't matter or there's, there's not time for them or they're away from our home base rather than being our home base. But that's actually kind of a trick of our minds. You know, we return home through meditation in meditation, to where we find ourselves at home with everything. I'd like to end tonight with um, reading a couple of short poems by Antonio Mercado, who's um, a 20th century Spanish poet and uh, freedom fighter in the Spanish Civil War. O faith, 
born of meditation, O faith, succeeding thought, if one heart comes into the world, man's glass brims over and swells the sea. And finally, has my heart gone to sleep? Have the beehives of my dreams stopped working? The water wheel of the mind run dry? Scoops turning empty, only shadow inside? No, my heart is not asleep. It is awake, wide awake. Not asleep, not dreaming. Its eyes are opened wide, watching distant signals, listening on the vast rim of silence. So thank you for your attention tonight and your um, and I hope um, well, we can linger on the vast room of silence, but <laughs> but we can also speak. <laughs> Thank you, Lewis. Uh, thank you for bringing in wrapped. That's uh, uh, yeah. That's that points to that kind of concentrated energy. But um, but your larger point about these different kinds of energy um, that that we can access and that we can and that we can. Um, that we can start to understand and work with are it's very very useful to us to know about that and um, and it is our intention that that conscious intention that that does produce the results that uh, that Goethe talked about yes um, 
Okay. I am, I'm interested in energy healing. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been concentrating on healing touch for a number of years now. And um, it's interesting the way we use the term energy and because today it's talking about the energy to that is an effort um, to commit to accomplish to movement um, whereas in my healing uh, healing work it's a, the energy is uh, what surrounds your body and um, what's in your body as an essence um, and it's um, useful to tap into that energy to um, use it as a, um, a force of, of healing, of um, creating um, balance in your body. And I, it, it, at first I thought it was different, but now as I'm expressing it, it's like uh, all the same. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a uh, it's an interesting. It's an interesting concept to connect all that together because it, I mean, energy is energy. It's just it's a non. Oh, it's just out there. It's, it's not really anything, but it is. It's it's real, and um, you can tap into it whether you're just making an effort to do something or just in sitting, like you said, in, in your meditation and um, and learning to. To actually heal your own body, um, it's it's amazing what what it is, and um, and you can actually feel it feel it as a sensation um, around other people. Um, you know, people have gone into auras and and that sort of thing too. But um, the actual um, energy outside that you your body emits is uh, is actually a physical essence that people can be. To learn to tap into that, to feel it. You can teach yourself to do it. Yeah, it, it's. I, I do think it's uh, all of a piece. I, I do think it is related. I mean, we, because of language, we have we, we make these artificial distinctions. You know, because just like we think that's the chair and this is, you know, the the podium and uh, but really it's all energy. You know, even in a piece of wood or pieces of wood, at much less our bodies too. And when there's the vitality of something alive, then it's really it's even more apparent, as you said. Then you can learn with with training to to feel that and see that and tap into that in the same way uh, and direct that in in the same way. So it is a kind of a parallel to what. The kind of energy that the paramis are talking about, about, yes, f- sl- sitting down in meditation and then fe- feeling also you can feel that energy in your body from the inside in meditation. Uh, but it's subtle, so you, 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 uh, you do need to train yourself to do that. And that does take that first energy of intention to come to that place that you will train yourself to do that. Thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. Um, sloth and torpor are one of the biggest hindrances I have 
in meditating. And um, you mentioned something about um, commitment or I was, I'm just trying to figure out, I mean, it's kind of the flip side of the energy aspect and yeah. your connection of that to a commitment and maybe seeing it myself that, you know, sometimes when I'm not as um, I'm ambivalent or reluctant, um, this feeling sets in, but is there, do you have any tricks or, I don't know, some yeah. sort of way to get over that? Yeah, well, I think commitment can can help in in a sense. Um, in a sense, the paramis can be viewed as as the flip side of the hindrances in in the what are called the hindrances in Buddhism, uh, which, which are these which are these mental and physical energetic states that 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 visit us that flow through us naturally, greed and. Um, and, and anger or ill will and um, a sloth and torpor and restless sloth and torpor is kind of in the middle or uh, so really a down low energy and, and restlessness and then doubt is the last of those hindrances and um, and the paramis can sort of be seen the six paramis as as kind of the opposites but but because the the, the paramis are so multifaceted I don't like to draw like direct parallels but it, you know to say well this parami is the antidote to that hindrance but in but as far as practical tips and things I think I think vow and uh, commitment is um, a help particularly in in falling asleep I mean fall, the sloth and torpor falling asleep kind of is, is a tricky one because we do lead such busy lives that it can just be the body doesn't have enough rest, you know, and so so it might be that tuning into that. But I have found it helpful at times to um, to remind myself for, for sloth and torpor when you catch yourself kind of nodding off. That's usually a wake up, right? If if it brings you awake, if it does bring you awake, sometimes you're asleep, and then <laughs> you're just asleep. You might as well enjoy resting <laughs> and not worrying about it too much but but if you go oh, then saying you know whatever phrase works for you but uh but a phrase that works for me is i am here for this i am here for this or i am i am here to meditate i am here to meditate and even kind of repeating that as a little mantra some sometimes and it also works for restlessness you know when your mind goes everywhere it's kind of the Opposite energetic quality of sinking. Also, Lewis alluded to this too. It's it's kind of it's a whole. I mean, curiosity is a huge part of our meditative practice, and we can get curious. How? Well, who are we? How are we working? All these forces are kind of operating in us, and sometimes it's like our heads up here, and like, well, yeah, of course I feel you know energetic or not energetic, but what is? This? It's not like we're we're not wanting to be, you know, falling asleep or, or restless or something. But but learning what these qualities look like and feel like and, and how we can work with them, it's kind of the art of meditation, the art of meditation. So so I am here for this, for when the mind is scattered and keeps going off. Um, 
And concentrate, when we get very concentrated, that will, at a certain point, slow us down so much that, that we can kind of sink into a dull a dull state. There's another technical term for that. Uh, maybe it'll come to me. It's not sloth and torpor, but it's this, it's this very dull, uh, lethargic state that comes from concentration. So I hope that was... are like lead weights that, that the blood is almost stopped in it. And, and I can't really tell like between myself and the outside. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I feel this particularly in my hands, but I, I almost want to move them just to make sure it's not. Um, I, and it happens often enough that now I've kind of gotten used to it, but it's this, almost as if the blood has stopped flowing Hmm. I've had that at different points, not not as a particular one area of the body, you know, that it kept recurring, but I have had a lot of uh, those kinds of sensations in different parts of the body at different times in meditation. Uh, And, you know, sometimes there there isn't... um, there isn't... there isn't any ready explanation... I I, uh, I find for myself I can um, I have the kind of mind that likes to synthesize and that uh, so I can spend some time looking for explanations for things and uh, you know kind of going through like the Buddhist checklist and what I've learned about this and that and the other thing and like if this this is a you know a sign or a symptom of that but but often it's just that's the way, it, and as long as it's not problematic, then um, then it's not really to to get so caught up in it. And yeah, the the body will. We we do each. I think all have energy flows. As, as people that work with that are energy workers and energy healers kind of learn this, I think. And I don't know much about it, but I do have the sense that you know whatever circumstances brought us to this mind and body place. Uh, it works in different ways, and and that just may be the way we are. Some people have, you know, like their hearing or, or whatever, you know. Um, so it just may work that way. But as far as I know, like that particular thing about having a part of the body being numb is nothing to worry about. And it's it's okay to, you know, if you notice it, just to check it out. Uh, and it's... Experiences where I would be have been very busy throughout the day, and um, recently I've gone through a really large loss in my life, and everyone's like, it's good to stay busy, which mm-hmm. actually isn't what works. <laughs> um, but what I find is that when I finish, I get home, and didn't have so many things to do, my mind would be going, would be very jittery. I'd have a kind of a hyper energy, but be very exhausted at the same time from kind of dealing with everything all day. But if I stopped, you know, just went outside and sat on my deck and just stopped for a minute and just kind of paid attention, just 
just not you know, for a full meditation per se. Before mm-hmm. I've been trying to get up first thing in the morning and sit. And I can you know try to just get back and touch back into that feeling. My, it was kind of what what Lewis was saying is for the wrap. All of a sudden I could just feel things focus down and I would mm-hmm. not be so jittery. And also my energy level would come up. Instead of feeling exhausted but jittery, I could come right back. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to really help. That what you were talking about. Yes. I really related to that. I thought, okay, that that's, must be what I've done. Instead of having a scattered energy that was getting me nowhere and also leaving me exhausted, kind of channeling into something that had some intent to it. And then I could be much more quiet for the rest of the evening and actually maybe get something done or not, but at least not mm-hmm. feeling like I'd been jacked up on caffeine. When I hadn't had it. Thank you so much for... Um for bringing that story to us. Uh, that's a beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. About So sometimes we can just tune in to when, where our energy is and where our, and, and, and its flow and, and know that we can be balanced within that even though we're in what, whatever our circumstances are of loss or, or of extreme pressures or Busyness, but um, but the first part you said was that you just went out without, but you went out with some kind of um, some kind of intention, even though you may not have articulated it to yourself. But in your heart, you you went there and uh, to just bring yourself there, to just be present for yourself there in that moment even not a formal meditation. Thank you. There are so many things that come to us when we listen on that great rim of silence. Things that we don't have to put into words. but that we know. So we can sit quietly together for the last few minutes. May our effort and our meditation allow us to meet our lives in balance with clarity and to share our lives with others.